Well, amen. Thank you, worship team. What a, what a great time of singing. Um, you know, in the, the first service this morning, and again in this service, I, as I was singing these songs, um, I kind of, uh, I don't know, I was sort of asking myself the question, what would it look like if these truths, the truth in these songs that we're singing, if we live them out in a greater way um, each and every day of our lives? You know, I, I, none of us will, will do that perfectly in this life, but if we were to really think and live like the time has come today, this sense of urgency, um, the time has come to, to live, live for Jesus, or that, that God is able in every circumstance, in every situation, that he's able to overcome, that he's able to, um, that he has the power to, to help us, that he is our cornerstone, that when the storms come, that he's still Lord of all. The storms that we all experience. And that one day he will return. That glorious day. Living with that in our minds. And then, and then just the truth that forever God will be glorified. Forever he is risen. That's kind of a weird thing. I just, you know, we've sang that you know, for a few months, several times, and Forever he is risen. He's not going to go back to the grave. Forever. What, what a great truth that is. And I think that I can, I don't know, I feel like I've already been preached to and we probably just can go home, I guess. So, um, but, uh, but I want us to think through those, you know, the words that we sing each week. And I appreciate the worship team and just helping lead us in that. But uh, I do have uh, something I think God, something else I think God has laid on my heart to, to talk to you about. And it's because we continue through the series in Acts. Um, the gospel advances. Uh, Pastor Michael uh, started us off last week in chapter 9 with this ex- experience that Saul is going to on the road to, to Damascus. Um, his Damascus Road experience, uh, tran- life-transforming uh, thing that, that Saul goes through. and um, we'll, we'll be talking through um, a little bit more of that. But I want to kind of start out by talking about, very briefly, the, t- the subject of fear fear. Um, not, not a fun thing often to talk about, not, not something that we spend a lot of time discussing, things that we're afraid of or, or things that, that bring fear or uh, invoke fear in our lives. You know, I, I know the new movie Jurassic World, I think just came out. I think some of you have, have seen that. And I, I'm kind of a wimp when it comes to scary movies. And I know not technically that's not like a classified as a scary movie. It's more, you know, suspense, whatever. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of a wimp. So like those previews, they invoke some fear when I've seen the previews. I haven't seen the movie yet. Um, they evoke fear in my, in, in my life. I'm, I know those dinosaurs. I know they're fake, and it's all on the screen and that sort of thing. But it, it, it does something to me. And obviously, uh, you know, when you think of just all of the, the whole industry of uh, horror movies, scary movies, that sort of stuff, there, there's something about fear, even in our in- entertainment industry, that, that we're kind of intrigued with um, and uh, at the same time scared of. Uh, you know, I think fear is something that really is one of the ultimate, one of maybe, the ultimate emotions in our lives. It, it drives us in a lot of different ways. We, we form social interactions to get away from the feeling uh, of being lonely, that fear of being lonely. We, we succeed to avoid failure. Uh, we try to remain happy because we fear the condition of, of being sad. And we basically do everything we do to, to avoid fear. And I think on the flip side, there's a lot of things that we don't do because of fear. And 
I think if we're really honest, obeying God's commands, what we feel that, that God wants us to do, uh, the real reason we don't obey is rooted in some sort of fear. Um, it may be kind of deep, and we may have to peel back some layers to get to it, but um, there's often fear at the root. And I think that's often the most dangerous kind of fear, because if, if we get to a place where we're paralyzed by fear, then, then I think the, the devil definitely knows that we're not going to be in a place to obey God, be to obey him. So that's what we're going to kind of talk a little bit about today and see in the story um, that we, we talk about Saul and Ananias and talk about how Ananias overcomes uh, a fear that he has to obey. And when we look at Scripture, one of the really most powerful, uh, we'll, we'll say, vehicles that, that God kind of drives his power with throughout all of Scripture, throughout all of history, is, is through man's obedience, um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting to see how, how God has chosen to work and how he, you know, you think of some of the Old Testament uh, heroes of the faith and something that set them apart was, was that they were obedient. And so as we talk about obedience and overcoming uh, our fears today, I want you to, to think of something that we'll come back to at the end. I want you to think of one thing that you feel like God is wanting you to do, maybe a next step in, in one area of life that you feel is is important, that you feel like is, is the right thing to do um, according to God's word, or maybe you just uh, feel the Holy Spirit prompting you in that area. I want you to think about it. Um, and maybe it's been something you've known for a long time, you're just afraid to do it. Some sort of uh, fear has, has kept you from doing it. Uh, think about that, because I, I think that, um, you know, God asks us to do some things sometimes that that could have a, a significant impact, more impact than we could ever, ever imagine on someone else's life, on hundreds of people's, thousands of people's lives. Um, and what you may think is, is kind of a seemingly insignificant act, um, God could be ready to use in an extraordinary, extraordinary way. So as we talk about today, Ananias and, and his bold obedience, and kind of in the context of the situation with, with Saul, I want you to... Um, uh, us to kind of learn a couple things. First, uh, really, as we study any sort of narrative kind of story, um, parts of Scripture, we, I think it's important for us to realize and remember just God's hand at work through this whole process. How, how God, through Jesus, appeared to Saul on this road to Damascus, blinded him, and basically said, go to Damascus and wait for further instruction. And we, we see, we've seen all through the rest of Acts, and we'll continue to see, um, God's just hand at work in a very direct way, um, and I think that, that can comfort us as we're reminded about that. And then also, just to learn a few things about Ananias um, that we'll read here in a second, but learn from his example of, of his obedience that we'll see and how we can be challenged by it. So as we, as we jump into the verses, we'll be in Acts chapter 9, verse 10 through 19. Those verses... Um, you know, like I said, Saul is he's kind of at a place where he's in Damascus. He's just waiting. He's fasting. He's, been blind, he's physically blind. He's experienced Jesus in, in a, just a great, great way, um, very unique way. Um, and he's waiting. So that's where we, we kind of find ourselves. So let's jump into Acts chapter 9, verse 10. If you want to read on the screen or read in your uh, Bibles. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, 
and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. So we see um, this interaction between uh, the Lord uh, through a vision um, and Ananias. And I want to kind of unpack that a little bit, and then we see um, Saul's uh, kind of the completion of his, his transformation, his salvation experience here. But if we look, look back at the beginning verses, we see that God chooses to use Ananias. That's kind of the first, what the first verses are about. And if we explore, okay, who, who is Ananias? Let's talk for a second. We don't really know a lot about um, this character, um, this man. Uh, we do know a couple of other Ananiases in Scripture. They're different. Um, some of you may remember. We've talked about those. And, you know, the, he, he was a disciple. He's called a disciple. So uh, many people think he was some sort of maybe high profile, held in high regard um, within the Christian community in Damascus. Um, and he was, because of that, he was likely on Saul's hit list. So Saul was coming to persecute Christians in Damascus, and Ananias was, was probably one of his targets to, to bring back to Jerusalem and um, continue uh, through his violent persecution of the church. And then we see also um, in these verses just some other context, you know, a street called Straight, um, Luke, the author, and obviously God, who's speaking these words um, in this vision, um, get, like to give us a little bit of detail. Obviously, good, they didn't have GPS and stuff back then, so it was good for, for Ananias to know where he was going. And this, this road is still in existence today in the city of Damascus, um, and it is straight, very descriptive word uh, for the street. But if you want, I, I found it kind of interesting. I was going to show some pictures of it, but it is interesting to kind of look at today when you just look at old, old pictures of um, ancient cities and things like that. Damascus is one of, the, one of the oldest cities in the world, and so it's something that's interesting to do if you want to do that on your own time sometime. Uh, look up that street. But when we see, we see this context, he basically is telling Saul to go, or telling Ananias to go find Saul, and what does he say to, that he's supposed to do? He's supposed to um, lay his hands on him and basically relay a message from the Lord to Saul and kind of commission Saul in a sense. And when you think about it, I mean, this, this does, to, to any logical person, any, any sane person, this command sounds a little bit out there, a little bit um, far-fetched because Saul, um, as we know, is, and as we mentioned, he, he, he was totally anti-Christian, anti-God. He was, he was out, you know, persecuting the church in, in a great way, in every way he could, um, chasing Christians down and, and, and throwing them into prisons and, and just really uh, antagonizing the, the early church to, to a great degree. So 
how does Ananias respond? Well, I think a lot like we probably would have. Um, he, he basically expresses this, his reluctance. He expresses his reluctance. Well, you know, God, that's great and all, but I'm not sure you, you, you're talking about the right guy. Like, you know, there's, um, I think you may be a little off. Um, this Saul guy, and he, he, he goes to explain to, to the Lord what, what's, who Saul is, what he's done, like the Lord didn't know. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because uh, I think we'll talk more about this, but it's probably very similar to how we would respond in, in that sort of situation. Or maybe we, you know, maybe we would just go, are you crazy? Instead of expressing our reluctance and, and trying to reason with God our way out of it. You know, so, so after Ananias tries in these few verses in 13 and 14, after he tries to remind God of how really kind of insane that the, this sounds, um, God, God just, he confirms his plan in those next few verses. He confirms his plan in verses 15 and 16. He, he knows, God knows he hasn't made a mistake. He knows who Saul was. He, he knows what he's done. But God has chosen him to be his instrument to spread the gospel. And in these verses, and I won't read them word for word here as we've already have, but, but God kind of gives Saul his, his kind of personal great commission, um, tells him what he's going to be doing, um, who, who, how he's going to be uh, reaching different, different kinds of people with the gospel. And then he kind of ends this in, in verse 16 with an interesting statement I want to spend a, a moment on. It says, For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now when I first re- read that, it, it's a little bit confusing because I, I think when I read that, I'm like, okay, so the Lord is saying this. So because, maybe because Saul has been persecuting the church. The Lord's going to kind of get him back by making him suffer. You know, okay, you, you make my people suffer by persecuting them. I'm going to make you suffer. And then, then I think, well, that doesn't really sound like God. That sounds like more like middle school girl drama. You know, like, so I, I, something must be off. Something has to be off. This can't be what, what, what God is, is talking about, right? So um, for a few moments, I, wa- I want to kind of camp out zero in on this idea of suffering because th- this is, a, I think, a huge thing. It's a theme throughout the book of Acts, and I think if we have a little bit of a framework uh, for how to think about suffering, I think it will help us as we continue on through Saul and then Paul, Paul's life as he suffers greatly uh, for Christ. And, and, and frankly, we, you know, especially here in America and our westernized culture, our view of suffering is, is very different than than the biblical view. So, so I want to um, talk through that for a couple seconds and through a chart. You can pretend you're like you're in a classroom for a couple minutes. We're going to look at four, four ways that we view, our view, meaning the world's view, view, how we view suffering, and then the way God views suffering, what we see in Scripture. The first, first way is that we shouldn't suffer. But God says Christians are called to suffering. So, we see this, you know, we, we, we think, okay, we need to avoid suffering at all costs. We, we, you know, just pour all sorts of things into our lives to comfort us, to, to, to you know, and not all those things are evil or bad, but in general, we, we try to avoid suffering at all costs, um, even if it means disobeying, right? But God says that, that, that Christians will. Christians, Christians are, in a sense, called to suffering. Philippians 1.29, let's look at it. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Now, this is Paul writing. 
who has suffered greatly up to this point when, uh, when he's writing this. And, and it still applies to us today, that, that we are called to suffer um, in, in a lot of different ways, maybe not the exact same way that Jesus, our Savior, suffered, but we are, we are called to suffer. Next, in, in a somewhat similar uh, point, suffering means something is wrong or abnormal. That's kind of how we think, it, think of it. Um, so, something, we've got to fix something. Suffering, suffering's wrong, like we've got to, um, something's a little off. But God's view of suffering is that suffering is normal and it's expected for followers of Christ. You look at 2 Timothy 2.12, 3.12, it says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Pretty straightforward there and I think connects very well with our kind of theme of obedience this morning. If you want to obey you're, you're, you're going to suffer. Um, and, and I think that it, that helps, it's starting to help us maybe understand, okay, so suffering, God, God's not really viewing suffering as a bad, bad thing. Um, our view, you can't have joy when suffering. You know, the world would say, you know, oh, poor this person, that, they're going through all these difficult things, that they must just be miserable and, and not have any joy. God's view of suffering in this way is suffering is an opportunity for greater joy. James 1, 2, and 3 speak pretty directly to this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So when we meet trials, when we meet difficult circumstances in life, we, we should be joyful about it because it, it, it's producing something in us that, that's beneficial um, in our relationship with Christ. It, it increases our dependence on him. And lastly, um, we see that suffering is God's angry punishment is, is a viewpoint that we have. You know, God's just some, you know, angry person up there in the sky ready to, ready to hit us, bop us on the head whenever we do something wrong, ready to punish us um, out of his anger. But as we see in Scripture, that's not it at all. Um, Suffering is sometimes God's loving discipline, um, but it's always for our good. Always for our good. And Hebrews speaks pretty directly to this in um, chapter 12, a few verses. Let's read together. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? For they, earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, talking about God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So we see kind of the example of earthly fathers and earthly parents to the disciplining their kids. Um, it's not out of anger, should not be. And, it, and God, who's the perfect Heavenly Father, does discipline us sometimes, and, and we may view that as suffering. But it's always for our good. And he, he's doing it out of love. So I think as we look at this chart, you know, we could spend a, a ton of time, just a, a whole sermon series talking about suffering. Uh, but hopefully this at least gives you a little bit of a start and, and reminds us that suffering isn't something that we need to be ashamed of. It, it's really something that's a privilege. If you think about a few chapters ago in Acts chapter 5, when the apostles were imprisoned and then they were released, they counted it a privilege it says they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And, you know, that's something that um, I think we, we need to be reminded about. And suffering really isn't, it's not a, the goal. 
you know, whenever we talk about suffering, we want to swing the pendulum and be like, well, I don't feel like I'm suffering that much, and maybe I'm not following God, or maybe I just got to, where, where can I suffer? Where, how can I experience more suffering? That's not the goal. The, the goal of, of, of living for, for Jesus and living the Christian life isn't suffering. Jesus is the goal. Suffering isn't to be sought after, but it, it's not to be um, surprised by either. We, we should expect it and, and be ready. Be ready to suffer well um, when, the, when the time comes. And I think as, as our culture shifts more, away from Christian values, and we as Christians have a chance to stand up more for our, our faith and um, just more chances to, of, for bold obedience. Um, we, we will experience suffering, and we, we need to be ready for that. And if it was anything but the, you know, obeying God, the, the creator of the universe, the, the um, designer, the, the almighty God, savior of our our lives, it would be kind of crazy. But because he is God, suffering for him, it's not. It's not crazy. Um, it's not always fun, but we can still experience that joy um, when we know that, that it is coming. So let's jump back into the story. There's a little excerpt on, on suffering. Uh, you know, hopefully if you want a copy of that little chart, you can, I'll post it on the city or something, or you can write it in the back of your um, notes. But as we jump back into Acts chapter 9, God has just basically confirmed his plan. He's, he's saying, okay, Ananias, I know you don't think this is a wise idea, but thank you, I, I'm God, and I know what I'm doing. Um, so Ananias responds, says he tr- basically trusts God, and he obeys. He trusts God and obeys. He doesn't continue to argue with him, doesn't try to convince him that he's mistaken. He obeys and goes to Saul, and we see even in this Verse 17, he, he greets Saul as brother Saul, as an indicator of that, that he is on board with what God is, um, God's plan is. I mean, he still may be um, a little bit nervous, maybe, going, going to Saul, going to this man, and basically risking a lot by, by trusting God. But, but he goes and, and calls him brother Saul, welcoming him into the, the family of God. And a lot of things happen in these verses. You know, Ananias lays his hands on Saul. He relays the message that he's received from the Lord. Saul is baptized. He's, he's received the Holy Spirit. He's given food. And he's strengthened. Um, and, and there's a lot of what, things we could kind of get caught up in in these verses, exact order. So wh- when was Paul really saved? Saul. Um, I know I'll do that. I probably have done that multiple times without realizing. But when, when does Saul, like when does he actually get saved? Um, when did he when did he receive the Holy Spirit? Was it after his baptism? Before his baptism? Like, how is his regaining his physical sight? Was that happened at the same time that he his eyes were opened spiritually? You know, th- th- there's a lot of ways we could kind of spend hours talking about that. And I don't I don't think that's the most important thing uh, for us to do right now. And I think we can understand that this is a very unique experience. Um, I, I don't know if if any of you have ever experienced anything like this that Saul's experienced. Uh, blinding light, been blind, and, and received your sight back, and that sort of thing, but I'm guessing probably not, and we don't see that very much uh, in Scripture elsewhere either. So I, I think what is clear is that, that Saul had an encounter with Jesus, and it changed his life. He, he, was, he did receive the Holy Spirit. He was obedient in baptism, and his life was completely changed. And we know that looking just a verse or two ahead in verse 20 that we'll talk more through next week, but it, it talks about how Paul Saul was was. He immediately proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying that he is the Son of God. So he had gone from persecuting Jesus to proclaiming Jesus. It's a big, big transformation evidenced uh, of the Holy Spirit in his life 
and of the true salvation that, that he experienced. So what are some things that we can kind of learn, pick out of this, this passage? Uh, you know, I, like I said at the beginning, knowing that God is in control, seeing his hand at work, seeing how he used Ananias, I think is a big, big thing um, to just be reminded of, uh, take comfort in. And then also just really looking at an- the way Ananias obeyed and how he really did have bold obedience. It, I think obedience is, is really key to being a disciple uh, of Jesus. A follower is, is an obeyer. Um, and sometimes, um, especially when, when obedience is difficult, uh, we, we let fear, we let, let those things paralyze us and keep us from obeying. So what are, what are three steps to, to follow Ananias' example and to boldly obey God, um, even in the face of fear? Well, the first thing is this, just to be ready to hear God's voice. You know, in verse, verse 10, Ananias basically answers God immediately, here I am, Lord. He was ready. He was ready to hear the voice of the Lord. And, um, you know, my, my wife and I are at a place in life with our young kids. We have three, ages six, three, and one. And we are trying desperately in our, um, you know, limited parenting abilities to get them to be ready to hear our voice at all times. You know, the kids are always, they're kind of born with this selective hearing that, you know, that all these other noises in life are a lot louder than their parents, and so we're trying to rewire that a little bit, and for the most part, they, they, they are pretty good. Our kids, they're, I mean, they are little sinners, and they're, they're very cute, but, but they, they're not, definitely not perfect, but they are, um, usually, they're not, you know, they're not rebelling too, too bad at this point, most of the time, and, and I, I remember one situation, and once, there's one kind of scenario that happens in our house often where our, our kids just really have a tough time hearing hearing us and it's it involves Josiah and Adeline our two oldest um, and their interactions with Gideon our little guy that we just brought home from Ethiopia and picking him up they really like to pick him up now Gideon is 20 months old those of you who may not know but he, he can he can move from point a to point b he can walk he can jump crawl he's all, the, all those sorts of things so he doesn't need help moving around the house but our uh, oldest Two kids really like to help him move. They like to help him lift him up to put him on things that he probably shouldn't be climbing on and all those sorts of things. But most of the time when they pick him up, they just kind of stand there and hug him. And, and I, I get that their motives aren't like impure and they're not trying to terrorize him and put him in a hug lock forever and well, he's miserable. But at the same time, he, he does get a little agitated a lot of the time. And so we, we have to tell them, please put your brother down. Please put your brother down. Please put your brother down. And we get louder and we get louder which probably isn't the best parenting tactic either, but hey, full confession here, that, that's sometimes what we do. And this one time we did, and I said, Adeline, put your brother down. And increasingly I won't do all of it, several times. Had, and she's just like deaf. She, for some reason, not hearing me. She's like 10 feet away. She can obviously, is within my, the reach of my voice. And so she's picking him up. And then the sixth time I say it, she actually hears me and obeys and just drops him. And he falls flat to the ground and lands like a pile, you know, a pile of potatoes, boom, and just lands there. And he's dazed for a second, and then he's, he's fine. He's a pretty tough little dude. But, you know, it's one of those things where I'm like, Adeline, why, why can't you hear, hear? Why didn't you hear me the first time? And, and, you know, and so I didn't have to yell and scare you into dropping him or something. Um, and, and, you know, I think oftentimes when God tries to speak to us, we're, we're too busy, we're distracted, we're, we're, we have selective hearing in a, in a way. 
um, where we don't hear God's voice. And we've talked a lot about ways to hear God's voice over the last couple of months through our Running on Empty sermon series, how we should spend time in God's Word, work on finding, just, just being still, being, being silent, listening to God. So I won't, won't go through all those things in detail, but I think that, that this is an important step for, for boldly obeying, is just being ready, being ready to hear God's voice. And maybe you're at a place where like, I, I don't, I, I think I would obey if I, if I knew what God wanted me to do. And if you're at that place, I think I would encourage you to, to do some of those things like read your Bible more, to, to pray more, to spend time with God's people in his presence um, so that you can hear from him. God's not somebody that's trying to hide stuff from you and not, he, he's not wanting to give you the silent treatment like we've talked about. He's wanting to speak to you. And so I would encourage you, um, if, you're, if you're looking for, to know what and how to obey, um, to do, do some of those things. Secondly, uh, I think the next step is just to acknowledge our fear and doubt, like Ananias did. I think it's important to identify those things. Sometimes we, we just don't talk about it. We don't really know the real reason why we aren't obeying, why we aren't taking that next step. Uh, maybe we're, you know, maybe under the surface we really are afraid of rejection, we're afraid that we'll have to give up something that we really don't want to give up. Um, we're going to get hurt somehow. We're f- afraid of failing. But I encourage you, maybe, maybe a good practice for you would be to write your fears, write, write what it is that you feel that's maybe keeping you back after you think about it. Write it on a piece of paper, get it out there, and, and peel back some of those, those layers. Um, maybe our fears won't seem as intimidating as, as uh, they really are, or, or maybe are not, when we call them out into the light. And I think we can, we can trust that, that God isn't going to rebuke us when we express those fears. He didn't, he didn't rebuke, the Lord didn't rebuke Ananias, he just reaffirmed his plan. And then the last thing we need to do is just trust and obey. Pretty simple point, probably you've heard it, sung it a bunch of times. At some point, sooner rather than later, Hopefully, we need to just trust God and obey. And, and I'm afraid sometimes we minimize our disobedience by, by calling it something different or, or not. We, you know, I know that I've been convicted, especially in this way, that you know, sometimes I'll, I'll convince myself, well, you know, I'm not, real, I'm not disobeying God. I'm just not obeying him. You know, I'm not, I'm, but I'm not disobeying. And then I think about what I think about, and I'm like, what did I, what did I just, did I just really say that? Not obeying is disobeying. So, so you know, that, that's one way I think we kind of deceive ourselves or kind of soften that blow. And another way, I think, is in a similar fashion, well, we, we, we convince ourselves, well, I know God wants me to do this, and I, I do plan on doing it. I definitely plan on, on taking this step um, in my spiritual life that I know God wants me to, but I'm just not going to, I'll do it later. I'll obey later. And really what I'm saying, uh, I'm not obeying later. later. I'm disobeying now. You know, and that, when I tell myself that, it kind of brings that more to a point. You know, delayed obedience is disobedience. So when, when I think about that, when we think about that, I think that will help us understand the importance, understand really what we're doing when we uh, really are, are not obeying um, God. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, there's a lot of um, characters in the Old Testament, people that, you know, mighty heroes of the faith that, were simply obedient, and God used them in mighty ways. There was nothing too special about them besides they were just willing and, and obedient. And I wonder how, how much more God could use some of us if we would just be obedient, and especially when it doesn't make sense, like with Ananias. 
I heard this quote, one of the ultimate measures of your faith is, is how the believer, if we are truly a believer, how we respond to counterintuitive imperatives. So, so when we receive a command, an imperative that doesn't make sense, but we can affirm that it doesn't go against God's word, it's just maybe not something we want or desire. Um, how we respond to that is really a measure of our faith. And as we, as we close today, uh, I, I want to challenge you not to be enslaved by, by your fears, um, to rest in Jesus, to, to free you from those. Uh, we don't have to be a slave to fear. We can, we can really free ourselves to obey and, and experience that, that great privilege it is to um, hear God, even to push through our, our fears and maybe our doubts sometimes, and to obey. And maybe you're here today and you, uh, you, your step of obedience, maybe that next step for you is to um, take that initial first step of, of crossing the line of faith and, and crossing from death to life to acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior. And we'd love to, to help, help you think through that, talk through it. Um, we've got those connection cards with some boxes on the back for you to um, check if you're interested in that. And for, uh, for the rest of you, I want you to think about that question that I asked you at the beginning, that thing that you feel like God is maybe laid on your heart, something that you know that you need to be doing, or maybe something you know that you shouldn't be doing. And I want you to think about that. And maybe it's something, maybe it's to forgive a family member that you've just kind of held some bitterness, a grudge towards, to step up and be a leader in your home like you know you should, or to stop a bad habit, to confess a sin that you've tried to to keep hidden. Uh, Maybe it's something as simple as inviting a neighbor over for dinner um, that you need to initiate a relationship with and, and talk about the gospel to. Um, you know, I don't know what, what your situation specifically is, but I do know that um, God calls us to obedience. And we, we see in this example um, that we are to obey. One last quote from Oswald Chambers. Um, he's a great devotional writer and author. He, he says this, One step forward in obedience is worth thousands of study, of, of years of study about it. One step forward in obedience is worth thousands of years of study about it. And, you know, another way, to, another way to word that is, you know, one step forward in obedience is worth a lot more than listening to a Sunday morning sermon about it or even talking about it. And I, I want us to think about that this week. It's, we, you know, what would it look like if our little church here in Parkville, Missouri, if all of us this week got serious about that one thing that we know God wants us to do? If we took that act of obedience, we, we pushed past our fears and our doubts, we acknowledged them, we give them to God, and, and we obeyed. I think God could, could do something great through us. I know that's his desire as we more uh, willingly um, just submit to his will and, and his plan for us. So let's pray together as we close. God, thank you for your word. I uh, thank you that it does... Um, give us great examples uh, that we can learn from, uh, that we can see your hand at work uh, during different times in, in history. And God, we know that you want to work today. And we know that sometimes the, the fear that we have, um, well, sometimes we were uh, fearful to admit that fear. Uh, God, we know that, that your perspective as God of the universe is so much greater than ours, so much, so much bigger 
and better, that, that the seeming, things that seem so, so scary or that really uh, seem like such a barrier, God, in, in the big scheme of things, you know, we, we know that you want what's best for us and that it's worth it to, to push through those things and to obey you. God, we know that you are in control, and God, I pray that you would just work in our hearts this week as we think about that, that one thing that you want us to do. Um, just, just one thing, um, whatever that may be. God, give us the courage to take that step of obedience, and God, thank you for um, your, your son, Jesus, most of all, and it's his name we pray. Amen.